you all, so this goes to you and to the team for all the hard work we put in day in and day out. <laughs> we about to get it in, baby. Let's get it. Welcome to our kind of pod, a special UW football themed episode of the Boyd Meets World podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Boyd, and joining me as always today will be Michael Stanton. Stanton and I will break down the disappointing Utah loss, to say the least, uh, looking at Jacob Eason's performance, looking at the Husky pass defense, looking at the coaching and decision making that went into this game, into this loss, uh, but then also bringing Jordan Couton, a noted beef fan and f- familiar voice of anyone who listens to this podcast, uh, to talk about his beefs who are just fresh off a shellacking against Arizona uh, and heading into a front Friday night showdown between the dogs and the beeves. So Jordan will talk about the state of the dam down there in Corvallis. Uh, that plus some national college football talk, uh, back to pack, OKG of the week, great cat of the week, all that good stuff. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Peace. All right, joining me is Michael Stanton uh, for what is now a Husky bat- basketball podcast. Right? We we're, we're done with football. <laughs> I was I was literally going to ask you if this is about Husky basketball. So uh, thank you for clarifying immediately. <laughs> yes, that it is not. Well, it is, but unfortunately, it's not. First down is about quad a green. What great news! Um, no, <laughs> we 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 will talk about that at some point. But uh, unfortunately. Yes. We signed a contract with our advertisers to uh, to do a podcast after every single game this week this year. So uh, we have to fulfill that in order to keep getting paid as handsomely as we are. It's 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 just the the realities of the business. Do you know when we're going to see those checks? By the way, because I haven't seen one yet. They didn't say anything about checks. They talked about uh, this being a cash thing. They just they use uh, those exact terms, cash thing, mm, um, mm, which okay. you know they're good on it. Um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's hit first down here from, uh, a, a disappointing Utah loss. Um, actually just seen me real quick. How, how was it in, in the building there? Because my dad was, uh, for his, his bird's eye view was not pleased with the dog packs attendance, not pleased with, you know, anything about the game really. Um, it, it was, was it as lackluster as it may have been made out to be? Um, I mean, you mentioned the dog pack that. I have, I've thought thought the dog pass has been poor for years now. To be completely honest, uh, and there was a lot of empty spots in the dog pack come the second half when it really mattered. Um, I'd say the stadium itself, though, outside of dog pack, was filled up pretty well, um, and it was a beautiful day for football. So mm-hmm. overall, I thought it was good. But um, yeah, you would you would like to see more from the students given the uh, the quality of opponent that was on the field that day. Well, I'll tell you from a uh, Bostonian perspective, there's a bar on in in Back Bay near you know Fenway Park and all that near where I work. Uh, that is the official UW alumni uh, bar for uh, Boston area UW alumni. Mm-hmm. Um, they've had watch parties before, and at, at this bar, it's called Lear. Um, it's basically like if you dressed up Red Robin a lot um, as as a bar, <laughs> but either way, it's it's supposed to host the games. Um, and so I get there around three forty five, uh, close to game time, and expecting there to be lots of other Husky fans there because I had heard about. 
uh, the the congregations that come there. And not mm-hmm. only was <laughs> were me and my girlfriend the only uh, people in purple there, we were the only patrons in the whole bar. So that oh, was fun. No. Um, eventually, it was That's joined, always a bad sign. <laughs> yeah. Uh, eventually, was joined by some others, but. Um, yeah, that was that was quite a bummer. So you know, Boston chapter is just just blowing it. Um, speaking of blowing it, let's talk about the guy who threw two pretty bad interceptions and had a rough fumble. Um, Jacob Eason. He had plenty of good moments in that game, but uh, we haven't talked explicitly about the quarterback and first down in a while. And to be honest, we kind of miss it. So uh, let's let's yep. break down his performance. What did you think about uh, number ten on Saturday? Yeah, it feels good to be home uh, talking about this on first down. But uh, yeah, overall, I mean, he had four touchdowns, 316 yards passing. Uh, but he made some crucial errors that ultimately were major reasons why we lost this game. Uh, you mentioned the fumble and two interceptions. Um, the fumble happened on our own 15 early on. And I forget what, I think that was in the... What was it first quarter, first or second quarter? Yeah, um, it was early on. Um, first, but quarter. yeah, that obviously not an ideal place to lose the ball on your own fifteen. Fortunately, we were able to hold Utah's offense to only a field goal. Um, I'm less concerned about that. It was on third and four, I believe, and he was stretching to try and get to the first down marker. Those things happen, I guess. Um, I'm more frustrated with the interceptions. Um, the first interception occurred just just starting the uh second half um we had driven down the field we were on we were moving the ball pretty well um 50 yards over eight plays we were on utah's 23 and he decides easton decides just to throw into triple coverage um kate otten had a wheel route out to the right um it was incredibly easy for jake uh safety Julian Blackman to read this one because Eason just stared down the route seemingly the whole time it was developing mm-hmm. threw into triple coverage, as I mentioned, um, which obviously is a big no, no. Um, then the second interception, well, first on that first INT, you're, you're leaving three to seven points off the board there. So that's a big deal. Second interception play, st- play started at our own 30 immediately following an intentional grounding on him on Eason. Um, this was a pass to Fuller out and it was a, like a 15 yard out route to the left. Again, he stared down the route the entire time and the corner was easily jumping that, that ball, uh, as it left Easton's hand. Um, so that was pretty poor. I was, I was almost more disappointed in that one just because it seemed like, um, you know, you could see it coming as he released it. You knew it was going to be either contested by the corner or picked off. Um, and that mm-hmm. obviously went for six. Um, so two interceptions. He had only had three coming into this game in his first over his first eight games. So pretty poor in that regard. Um, and he should have had a third interception early in the fourth quarter. He yep. uh, rolled out of the pocket uh, on third and eight, heaved it downfield and uh, into triple coverage again. And the corner really should have come down and picked it off. Um, fortunately he did not, but you know, the, the damage was pretty much done at that point. I have, uh, nothing really to add to, to any of that. Great job describing all of those, those turnovers there. The, a lot of it just seems to happen with Eason dealing with pressure and he's just been not great in that regard. His, his, uh, his numbers go way down when, when he's faced with any sort of pressure, um, the, the fumble, he didn't want to have to leave the pocket. So he 
you know, tried to pick up some extra yards there. That's that is what it is. Uh, the sack on the very last possession, where he spins out of out of um, out of the tackle box in right into pressure, um, where there's opportunity to step up in the pocket. The first pick happens under pressure. Uh, there wasn't really a lot he could do there. There wasn't like someone else wide open in that play. Uh, but you know, the throwaway is obviously in his arsenal with his arm. Uh, the yep. sec the second pick, obviously he just taken a sack. He talked about it. Um, there was a throw to Kate Otten on the, on the underneath there. Um, instead of throwing to Fuller, that, that was not as easy of a pick. And like you said, didn't even look any other way other than Fuller. Um, and then, like you said, on that, that third almost pick, uh, it, he spun out, uh, and, you know, made it a longer throw, um, to, to eventually hit, hit, uh, hit or try and hit Spiker down the sideline and, and a ball that should have been picked off. Um, Mm -hmm. and so Chris Peterson obviously noticed this and, and he said in one of the press conferences this week that, you know, it's just step up, not get out, uh, for Eason in the pocket. And he says, trying to emphasize staying in there. That's his game. Step up, keep working on that. And also added that the, the spinning out doesn't happen in practice. And that's a, that's a game only thing. Um, which is happens so much. It happens so much. And it's his, it seems like it's his default response to pressure. Um, and again, we've talked about this. I can't understand how any Husky quarterback who, you know, would have read any news clipping last year, check Twitter once, um, thinks it's a good idea to spin. We've all seen this happen before. And and the the legacy of spinning Husky quarterbacks is well documented. Um, and it's, it's overall success rate being basically zero, um, so stepping up in the pocket is something that we've been talking about with Eason for a few weeks. Um, something he really hasn't been able to, to show that he can do or, or feels comfortable doing. And it's something that he's going to need to do at the next level. Um, but then also embracing the check down. Um, there's been a couple plays where it just seems like he is dead set on hitting the big play. And, you know, he has every right to think that because of his arm talent. Um, but there is nothing wrong with hitting Kamari Pleasant for a four yard gain. Um, on, on a third and eight rather than trying to force it into double coverage and triple coverage down the sideline, throwing to a freshman receiver. Um, so I think, you know, this, this season in terms of big picture is kind of at a, at a loss for any sort of New Year's six, um, you know, the conference championship type thing. But, uh, for his sake and for the rest of this season's sake, I, I would just love to see these little adjustments happen. Uh, with him that can really make him and our passing offense so much better. And to add to that, uh, him getting flushed out during pressure situations, um, what's also compounding this is a lot of times he, he rolls out or he's flushed out to his left or decides to go left. So then he's, you know, being a right-handed quarterback, he has to throw across his body. Um, whereas, you know, obviously if he's going to roll out, you want to be rolling out to your right because that's going to be an easier throw. So just a minor observation there, because it seems like, you know, half the time he's going left, which is basically not only have you cut the field in half, but you're then making a really difficult throw as well. So, um, not a high percentage, um, of bailing yourself out there. Um, on top of that, what's been disappointing with Eason, granted, he's had a lot of good moments. Yeah. Um, but outside of the, you know, larger stature and, and arm strength, he isn't any better than Browning when it comes to winning a close game or bringing the Huskies back while we're trailing, which has been disappointing um, because, you know, ultimately those two things in some cases kind of overshadow what arm strength can give you. Arm strength can, can give you a lot. But ultimately, it comes down to winning ball games and having that mental fortitude to be able to come back in games. 
And uh, he just he's had a lot of opportunities this season in the games we have lost to do that. And he obviously has not. So that's been disappointing. I thought um, he would have that, especially given the experience he brought coming in, having played for Georgia, um, you know, quite a bit uh, before. So. Yeah, and he's, he's done it before. There's the uh, the, the uh, Missouri game or something his, his freshman year at Georgia where he got them all the way back mm-hmm. and then the defense blew it. Um, but that's a really good point. And even thinking back two years ago to a game you were at where uh, it looked very <laughs> – there was some help from Kyle Whittingham, but it looked like Utah had the game in hand and Jake Browning willed, willed the Huskies back with a couple key drives um, to set up a, a Tristan Vizcaino game winner um, against Utah at a game that l- felt very similar to this and just kind of how Utah really took control late in that game. Um, and also uh, the same quarterback was on the, on the field for Utah in both of those games with Tyler Huntley. Uh, which will allow us to transition to number or down number two here uh, to talk about the Husky pass defense and how much they struggled with Huntley. Um, I'm on record as being on the Tyler Huntley fan club. Um, yep. Our our group needs a name. I'm thinking uh, Hunts. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> not going to do that. But um, but some you know the, we do need a name. I've I've been a fan of his for a while. He has always been the most accurate or statistically uh, prolific guy. But always a gamer, um, someone who can continue, extend plays and make big plays downfield with his arm. Uh, he was really, really good on Saturday. 13 to 14 for 204 yards on passing downs, which is anytime it's second and eight or longer, uh, or the Huskies had him in third and or fourth down with more than five yards to go. 13 to 14 for 204 yards. That's insane. Um, in downs where basically everyone knows you're about to throw it. Yeah, I mean his his stats aren't going to necessarily pop off the box score sheet uh, every week, but what will is his efficiency, and that shows in uh, his single season QB rating, which as of right now is the best single season QB rating in Pac-12 history, um, which should be noted is ahead of Marcus Mariota's 2014 Heisman campaign. Um, wow, it's at 182.5, where Mariota's was 181.7. Um, to add to this Tyler Huntley love, uh, he's completing 81% of second half passes, 78% of passes on the road, and 77% of passes on third down, which all three lead the country uh, for quarterbacks. Oh, my God. 77% uh, on third down? 77% on third down. So to add to that, he was 8 for 9 this past Saturday on third down for 143 yards, one touchdown, and he was also 7 for 10 on converting those third downs. So um, and then, you know, he was just surgical in the second half, 11 for 12 on 184 yards and a rushing touchdown. So um, you you really as you know, the UW secondary could have played well and they he still would have beaten us, I think. But there are some points to be made about the UW secondary. Um, I think it's tough because, like I just mentioned, you're playing as a really good quarterback. Um, I think the. The linebackers some somewhat hurt us in some regards too in this oh, yes. in this case. <laughs> um, we've talked about that to uh, quite an extent this season. I think also Miles Bryant is kind of playing out of position um, just because in the past we've had the players like Taylor Rapp who and JoJo McIntosh even who can come down and support in the run and uh, and run defense and it seems like they're using miles bryant to do that instead and ultimately he should be playing more on the back end i think um at least more than he is now yep so um you lose a little bit or i don't think you're utilizing him best as we could we kind of have to make do with who we have and use him in that role 
And then just speaking specifically on Saturday, I think Elijah Molden had a bit of a rough night. Um, he struggled to stay with his man on multiple occasions. Trent McDuffie, I think, was uh, had some trouble with their receivers who are a little bit taller than most receiving cores that you go against. And then, um, you know, I didn't have I didn't see any issues with Asa Turner or Cam Williams, who saw a lot of playing time, actually. Um, but ultimately, there was some freshman mistakes. There was, I think, a 41 yard passing play that Dom Hamp- yep. Hampton got burned on. So that one hurts too. But yeah, overall, I think this is more of a product of Tyler Huntley just being really damn good. Yeah, it's it's a two-way street for sure. And it's, the, the blame doesn't rest solely on the Husky defense, but um, it does need to be said about the the, the gap between how well this, mm-hmm. this defense is performing. Uh, this down is specifically about pass defense, but but I'll have some, some uh, overall defense factoids here as well. Uh, 6.9 yards per attempt uh, against this Husky D. It's the worst since 2014, which is the first year wow. of, of Jimmy Lake. Um, that's Kevin King's first year. That's Sidney Jones's first year, Buda Baker's first year. So uh, a long time ago. Um, and again, when that Husky defensive backfield was very young, this defense is 55th in stop rate, which means uh, d- uh, drives ending in either punts, turnovers, or a turnover on downs. Last year, they were 21st. So the overall defensive effectiveness um, I think goes hand in hand there. You end drives by by killing on third down, um, and mm. this Husky pass defense just can't do that uh, because they're just they're just not equipped to to stop big plays and to to get off the field. On Saturday, seven conversions um, on passing attempts on third and six or greater. That's just wow. inexcusable. That cannot happen. That's exactly what happened back in the day against Penn State um, in the Fiesta Bowl. That's how how they're able to maintain drives and really control that game. There was a third and 14, like you said, the 41 yard completion to Jalen Dixon. Uh, but stop me if you've heard me, th- heard me say this before, but on that play, a freshman safety did not get over to the sideline to make a play. Asa Turner, ah. uh, on that one over Dom Hampton. So, I mean, the yeah. guys involved in that play just kind of say it all. You're, you're playing Dom Hampton. You're playing Asa yeah. Turner, not because they are, you know, considerably better options. And I, I have full faith that those guys are going to be really good players someday, but. That's the necessity of this. You have to play those guys. Um, and, you know, they just, they just, they're not as good at their, at their jobs yet as Tyler Huntley and, and his receiving core is. Um, and then uh, the third and six to, to Samson Nakua, Puka's older brother, the one Nakua who is, who could play in this game for 28 yards. I mean, that was just another dagger when it's just, that's, that's, you know, what's going to happen one on one on the outside and they're just better at it than, than we are. Um, and, and was that on McDuffie or what? what that, was that was over Molden. Um, okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, I mean, it's, I think I, and this is compounded by the fact that this is a lot of the damage is happening in the second half. I think the last yep. two games, Oregon and Utah, the first half, we've actually played pretty decent on defense, uh, in the grand scheme of things. But the last, uh, the second half in the last two games, we've been outscored 41, 24, and we've conceded five touchdown drives of 70 plus yards or great or 70 yards or greater. Uh, including two 80-plus yard drives in the fourth quarter against Utah alone. So, like you said, we just cannot get off the field, especially in the second half. Yep, yep. And uh, for the you know for the most part, that that first half, like you said, I mean, we were able to get pressure on Huntley. Um, the the sacks looked good. Joe Tryon got involved. Uh, Ryan Bowman got involved. Um, it looked like we had them, and then in the second half, they just completely imposed their will. Um, Zach Moss is able to get going. So yeah, it's, it's a theme that this team doesn't really have the, 
um, the, the four quarter ability. And that's, that's a youth thing for sure. I mean, that's, that's just a physical maturity aspect of, of this that they can't be ignored, but, um, either way it affects, it affects the, the on-field talent here. The, the Zach Moss, Tyler Huntley recruiting trip for Kyle Whittingham in Florida, is there, <laughs> there, that's going to be one of the best recruiting trips in ever in the history of the conference, getting those two guys, because they, they have like, they've won like 50 games for, for, for Whittingham there. Yeah. I didn't even realize they were both from Florida, but that is quite a pull, uh, for the Utes. Um, that's, I, I would doubt that's a pipeline for them. So, <laughs> um, and they, they're probably, uh, Huntley and Moss are going to be considered one of the best, you know, at each of their respective positions for, for Utah, you know, in program history, I would think, given given this season at least. So yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, yeah. probably it's probably at least in my you know narrow perspective, Alex Smith and then Tyler Huntley for for that program, um, which is <laughs> it, it has to be right. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I can't ever remember a Utah quarterback being you know even that remotely competent. Uh, in between then, Troy, Troy Williams, um, <laughs> notwithstanding, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's been tough for this defense, uh, which is so rare because I just remember, you know, last year it felt like we were never talking about the defense um, in anything. It was just kind of, if anything, it was just like, well, you know, lots of third and shorts, and you got to get, you know, you got to stay tougher on those. Um, but but this year is is you know it's just been a lot of lumps, and you know, good teams, Cal Cal excluded there that we've lost to, Stanford excluded too. It's only fifty percent on that. Ah, <laughs> uh, what am I saying? This oh, this is bad. Hey, we're young, right? Is that, is that we what are? We are very young uh, on defense. Uh, you and I are not young. We are old, no. old going out to pasture fellas. But uh, <laughs> but these guys are young. Um, let's move on to third down, where it is no better. We will talk about some some perfect, really weird decision making. I do want to say to start off on this that the last drive of the first half with the Huskies up, uh, what would that be? Fourteen to. 10? No, 14 to 3 at that point. Yep. Okay, 14 to 3. Um, they have the ball. It's fourth and one on their own, on the, the Utah 45. Obviously not a place you can kick a field goal. Um, weird place to punt. They go for it on fourth and one. They have a play they like. They get it into Devin Culp's hands. Devin Culp drops it. I am totally fine with that call because that, that just holds up over the course of a season. You have a creative play call. Um, you have good aggression. You are thinking the right way. I'm totally okay with that. And I appreciated that. Um, however, there's just some other stuff that I, I we can kind of just take turns here of things that, that bothered us. Cause there's going to be some overlap here after we stop Utah on the fourth down con- on the, the, the two point conversion. So it's 21 and 19. We still have the lead, um, after the pick six to kind of bring some momentum back into that. The next two possessions for the Huskies go, the exact same way, three and out. You have a two-yard run on first down and then two incomplete passes, and then you punt. The, we talked about this before, the run-pass-pass pass combo for a three down uh, among that big NFL sample that, that 538 did a few years ago uh, is the second least successful three-down combo according to that study um, of all the different combinations that you can have in there, all of the better ones being starting with passes um, to, to, to be more aggressive on first down. Two drives later, they score on both of them. It's 33-21. So you still have control of that game, but you are not aggressive in those moments uh, like you were at the end of the first half, and now the game has slipped away from you. And the, what's tr- problematic about that is that 
<laughs> I've said this over and over. This team looks so good on offense when they come when they come out aggressive in play action, uh, hitting playmakers down the field. All three touchdowns came on play action. The Jordan Chin touchdown, both Hunter Bryant touchdowns came on play action. Um, and prior to the, the Aaron Fuller touchdown in garbage time, uh, those came on first down play action. And so then when you get to, to that moment, you go away from that, you go very basic, uh, and then it's, the game is just over, um, at that point because you didn't go on the offense and you just kind of rested on your laurels and everything we just talked about last down, this defense cannot be trusted to just, you know, play it safe and give it back to them and keep it a one score game. Sure. Yeah, and then there's, you know, to to add to all of that, then there's, I think, some clock management issues. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> at the end of the game, obviously, I think it might be a little ticky-tacky, but I think you probably want to run down the clock a little bit um, before that fourth down play. I think we took a timeout right before it, like immediately. Um I think you I think you run that a little bit and maybe then take a timeout. Are you talking um, at the end of the be- end of the first half? Yeah, with the yep. culp drop, um, mm-hmm. just because you leave, if you don't get it, then you're leaving a lot of time on the board for Utah to then drive, you know, the, what was it like on the, maybe our, the 45. So yeah. that's pretty good field position. So I would have liked to see Peterson play a little more, you know, be a little more strategic there from a clock standpoint. And then, uh, at the end of the game, I was kind of, I was somewhat baffled by this, but we took a timeout with a minute 52 left. You were down by two possessions after just gaining a first down to Utah's eight. Um, you had just driven 67 yards in about three minutes. Um, we had three timeouts at the time. You took that first timeout. Again, you're down by two possessions, which basically means that now that you only have two timeouts left, you're probably going to have to score and then recover an onside kick in order to even have a shot. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you had continue you know, without the timeout, you score, you have three timeouts, you are able to stop them and get a punt before the game, you know, the time runs out. So, I mean, I don't, I didn't do the exact math, but it, to me, it seemed like we forced ourselves into having to kick an onside there by taking two timeouts on that drive. Whereas given the fact we had just driven 67 yards, I felt like we were capable of finishing out that drive without taking timeouts. But I don't know. Did you did you notice that at all? I thought oh, I yeah. immediately called it out. Yes. Um, on the broadcast, I guess I was at, at the bar. There, there weren't they weren't playing the uh, the audio of, mm-hmm. of of Brock Heward there. But on on the broadcast, I guess he said immediately, "Why are you taking the time out there?" And and what yeah. was also problematic, it, it on the broadcast, it looked like they they took twelve seconds to take a timeout when it that was just they they missed a little bit, so it, it ended up being like they took six seconds. So you get down to the first first and goal at the eight, you wait six seconds, then you take a timeout. Just spike the ball. There's a timeout. Does you need those on the other end of it? Uh, a spike at this point does the same effect. Stops the clock. You still have three opportunities to score there, um, and you you are not leaving yourselves yep. empty-handed on the back end. Like you said, the second they took a timeout, and especially once they took the second one, you had to recover that onside kick. I think regardless of that point, you still kick it, uh, but you have the ability to still get the ball back and force Utah to punt to get one more possession at this. Um, there's that part of it, but then there's also the part of it took so much effort for them yeah. to get down the field. And mm-hmm. a lot of this is due to the fact that it was 33-21. 
Um, play action is completely out of your playbook at that point. Utah does not care about the run game. They are, they are just playing all the way back. Um, so 19 plays on that drive. There's a lot of, you know, I, I don't know if, if this Husky team really was ready for 19 straight non-play action calls um, on that drive. But, you know, because you didn't have play action available to you. But it was just so laborious. And the sack that Eason took there on second down after that that timeout was just like we said earlier, uh, really inexcusable and a product of him spinning out of the pocket. Yeah. Um, it was just crystallizing a lot of the issues, but it just didn't seem like they knew what the next play after the play was. Um, and, which is, and, which is absurd. Yeah. And, and in, true. you have to practice that. I mean, you, that, that's, that's a game situation that you know. And yes, they are debilitated by the fact that they are, you know, throwing to Terrell Bynum and Marquise Spiker and, and, uh, and a hobble there in Fuller when, you know, you were planning on having a much different receiver set here, but, and them's just the realities. You gotta be, you gotta be ready for that. And none of those passes downfield or none of those passes were downfield. It was all just, you know, let's pick up the first down, pick up the first down, pick up the first down. Um, and you know, I didn't really see any indication from, from Utah that they had any ability to stop Hunter Bryant downfield and to not yeah. see him get, uh, a look like he did for the two touchdowns was, was tough. And it's just now, now we're just like throwing to, uh, Terrell Bynum, like he's Bobby Ingram down, down the field, you know, for eight yards a pop. It was, yeah, it was, it was a weird game plan and the urgency just wasn't, wasn't there to really stretch and attack the field. But that was the theme it, of the whole second half. And I think you might have mentioned this, but, uh, not to beleaguer the timeout point, but I think there was like 12 seconds that rolled off the clock before yep. they actually called it. So it's like you either need, it's, it, we've talked about it before, you either need to like, you know, call timeout immediately or just let it roll and just, you know, keep playing. It's, it's, it's not like we can go halfway and then decide, Oh, we should call a timeout. You need to be immediate on that, especially in that, that time of the game. Um, Peterson did mention that, you know, the most important thing there was to score first, which they hadn't done yet. So that's why he's taking timeouts. But I feel like that's an incredibly narrow minded uh, viewpoint because you know, ultimately you're trying to win the game and I think taking the timeouts the way that they did, granted they were able to get in the end zone, uh, you made it tougher to actually win that game because you had to depend on an onside kick, which is so minimal in the chances to actually get that back. I can't remember the last time the Huskies actually recovered an onside kick. So, no, and, um, and, and that's the thing about the timeout is it didn't feel like they were taking the timeout to stop the clock. They took the timeout, it felt like, because they didn't know yeah. what the play was. And, yeah. and that's what was more concerning to me uh down the stretch there was there just never seemed like like it was the the hurry up offense just wasn't there it was just okay what's this play what's this play what's this play and then when they got down to it they didn't have a play for that eight yard line uh and took a timeout to resolve it and then had to take another one because the play they drew up ended up in a sack uh <laughs> so yeah that's that's got me heated but then there's one other thing that i want to talk about and it's just kind of the right. the, the the personnel aspect of this because if I, if I just said, all right, Stan, who, who are the, you know, given Aaron Fuller's injury, who are the, uh, three guys that the Huskies need to make sure, uh, get a healthy dose of the ball? Hunter Bryant, Bryant, um, maybe Kate Otten as well. Uh, -huh. uh, Savan Ahmed. There you go. Yep. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. It's not hard. Uh, you and I can figure that out. Pac 12 defenses can probably figure that out that those are the guys that they have circled. Uh, you have Hunter Bryant has his best game of the year, six catches, 105 yards, two touchdowns. He was great down the stretch, uh, a couple targets on that last drive, but they're taking him away. 
there's there I think it was it was one of the plays on that drive. Hunter Bryant is blocking for and there's a two receiver route. The the two receivers are Spiker and Bynum, and Hunter Bryant is in there blocking. Mm-hmm. Not Kate Otten. Kate Otten's not even on the field. He's not <laughs> blocking. The better blocker of the two two guys. Um, and yeah, it's one play and you got to be diverse and you, you can't, you can't just tip your hat and I, I, you know, tip your hand that, that that's the case. But in that sense, I just don't understand how you don't have those three guys in the field, um, and make the Utah defense honor proven Pac-12 players instead of saying, Hey, we get to guard Marquis Spiker and Terrell Bynum. Let, let them beat us. <laughs> if they do, so be it. Um, yeah. and I like, I like Terrell Bynum. I thought he, I think he has a very clear role as a possession guy, but. In that sense, when you had to move the ball downfield, Aaron Fuller is not right. I, I, it's 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 those guys. It's it's Bryant, Otten, and then you, you know get in, get Ahmed involved in the, in a screen or something like that. I just it, it was so weird, and it is has been so weird. I tweeted out earlier this week. You know, there was Tony Cashercohen tweeted this great stat about how awesome Kate Otten is in the success re- success rate for for getting yep. thrown to, and he's getting thrown to a ridiculously absurdly low amount of times for how talented he is and how well uh, plays end up when we throw to him, uh, you know, throwing a triple coverage aside from, from the interception. Um, so mm-hmm. from a personnel perspective, I was, I was a little uh, more than miffed at, at just kind of how, how complicated this thing gets sometimes when it really doesn't have to be. And to add to that, you, we mentioned Savan Ahmed being one of those three main skill position players that you probably want to, you know, get the ball to. Uh, he only had 14 carries, and I understand that you're going up against arguably the best run defense in the in the country. Um, you know, his first nine carries were 37 yards. He was actually moving the ball pretty well. Um, and then it seems like we just resorted to throwing. I mean, Eason had 52 attempts. Um, you look at you look at Utah's side of things. Huntley threw the ball, attempted only 24 passes, whereas Zach Moss had 27 carries. Yep. And granted, they you know, stuck he with it. Didn't, yeah, they stuck with it. He he only had a hundred yards. It's not like he had an amazing game uh, that was much better than what Ahmed was able to do in the first half. But uh, I feel like we went away from the run way too early. Um, I mean, we weren't losing this game until you know the early fourth quarter. So it's not like we were having to pass from behind. Um, I just would have liked to see them give Ahmed the ball more because other than those 14 carries only Sean McGrew was the was the only other running back carry that was given and that was one and I think that's the product of him being not 100 percent and obviously not having Richard Newton but um you got to balance yourself out a little bit and for an offense that prides themselves on being balanced we definitely weren't um and with Ahmed he's the type of player as we know that can you know one carry he can break it for 90 yards if if you know he's given the opportunity so um even if he's getting bottled up in some regards he can still make that huge play just given his overall speed and agility um so that was a little disappointing I thought we could have done better in that regard and obviously uh we saw what happened when Eason made some throws some errant throws yep that is yeah, and and that's probably the most frustrating part of this team is that you know you take away a pick six and maybe that drive just ends in ends in zero points and this is a completely different game. So so all of this is made worse because we're not you know getting our asses handed to us in this yeah you know, just I, losing losing these you know two or three score games. It's it's all 
very very close and and that's I, that's that's I a product of the youth. I want to lose by a lot almost. <laughs> yeah, regards. yeah, just exactly. Just beat us up, please. Right, just like, just end just it early. <laughs> it's a much easier conversation when it ends. Why does in, it have it, to be torture? Exactly, exactly. And it feels like every <laughs> single loss in this Chris Peterson era, save for that first year, has been torture. And there's plenty oh, of torture man. that year with the, the Arizona loss in there too. So, yeah, uh, yeah it's uh, it's it's been tough, man. And and and. Like I said, the, the, how close this thing is, is, is probably the, you know, cause Jacob yeah. Eason had great throws. The, the Hunter Bryant throw, are you kidding me? The, the, the Jordan Chin throw, uh, you know, Hunter Bryant doing anything, his, him catching over the middle, like, God, this thing looks so good sometimes. And then it just seems like it just gets away from them and, and the game plan is lost. Uh, let's move on to fourth down. I'm gonna I'm gonna take you off the line here. Bring in uh, esteemed Beave Jordan Coots to to talk about his team as they are four and four heading into Friday night showdown. Jordan, your uh, your Beaves are winning in Arizona. The the Phoenix Suns are off to an amazing start. Your uh, your tenure in Arizona is going real well right now. Yeah, man, I'm pretty damn pleased with it so far no pun intended there you didn't make it to tucson for that did you no i did not i wish i could have but the timing just didn't work out yeah flagstaff to tucson i have no idea about arizona geography so i made it sound like that was a layup to go to but it very well could be a three-hour drive yeah i mean flagstaff to tucson's even further phoenix to tucson's two hours so i wasn't uh i wasn't you know that's not incredibly far but i just couldn't couldn't make it happen Round up the uh, Oregon State alumni chapter down there in Phoenix and take them. That was that wasn't <laughs> exactly, an option. Exactly. Yeah, there weren't too many to pick from. <laughs> uh, well, congrats. The Beavs are, are very fun, if nothing else. But they are four and four. Last year, I think we were 111th in S and P plus. They're up to 59th this year. Uh, what is the biggest difference in your eyes between last year's team and this year's team? Oh man, that's a really good question. I think there's not one specific thing that you can kind of point to. Um, it's, it's kind of a whole collective effort. Um, I think on the offensive side of the ball, I I think just in general, just maturation, um, you're getting some really good play out of both quarterback, running back and wide receivers. Um, we've been without Jamar Jefferson for a good portion of this year, but Artavis Pierce is another dog. So, um, that's really nice to have those two guys there. And, um, hopefully I think Artavis Pierce should be good to go. He got banged up at the very end of the game against Arizona, but Jefferson being healthy is huge now. Um, mm. But on the defensive side of the ball, we're still not good, but <laughs> there's a, been a huge improvement, and I think that comes with the defensive line and then some some transfers in the linebacker crew. Um, we, or I guess before the Arizona game, we led the nation in tackles for loss, which would be crazy to even ponder before the season started um and Hamilcar Rashid is an absolute monster at outside linebacker I think he leaves the leads the Pac-12 in both sacks and tackles for loss um so obviously he's been huge um so I'd say defensive line has has stepped up uh to the occasion this whole year um and then yeah just really maturation I think you see like a, a good good change in culture as well I think there was a obviously the wins are are nice, but there's a key part in any fledgling program, and close losses are unfortunately a part of it. And the losses to Hawaii and Stanford, I think, were 
were good lessons in what it takes to win close games. Um, Stanford, there was a big comeback with the Beavs, but uh, Hawaii was just kind of playing catch up. How do you feel about that? Was that just like tough to go through and it feels all part of the plan or were those legitimate blunders? Yeah, I mean, after the Oklahoma State game, where I I guess there was some optimism after that, like Oklahoma State, everyone thought was going to have a bounce back year and a good team and to only lose by about two touchdowns, there was some optimism. And then at Hawaii, we just absolutely fell apart and there were kind of rumblings like, shoot, like, are we going to make a jump in year two? And I was still optimistic, but, um, you know, Cal Poly wasn't much of a test. But then against Stanford, it's like, shoot, we're falling into the same kind of things that we were that have been happening the last two or three years where we just can't really execute down the stretch. And it's not really one. You couldn't really point at one thing or another that went wrong. It was just kind of like um, each game there was something different. Um so it was it's obviously been really nice to to shore up some of those things. Um I think there's there's still some of that like maybe not we're we're not quite used to winning yet. Um because there are lapses in the games where, you know, third quarter, fourth quarter and we're up 14 or we're up 18 or whatever and uh the other team uh happens to make a comeback and uh we've just had a big enough lead. I think to where it hasn't been an issue in a couple of the last few games. Um, but I think we still have, have another, um, have another gear to get to that, uh, giving up leads in the second half thing. Um, sounds very familiar to a, yes. a team that's near and dear to my heart. Um, yeah. So four and four, a couple of games away from a, a bowl opportunity. This, this UW game might be, uh, one of the best opportunities left on the schedule with what ASU Wazoo and then Oregon left on the schedule. Um, so you talked about the defense, and the defense is statistically really bad. 103rd in scoring defense, 100 in, uh, in in 103rd, I believe, as well in total defense, which accounts for yards. Uh, but I, I I think I have this right. If the Beavers are fifth in tackles for loss per game, and still so bad in giving up yards, that means that they are giving up almost a little bit like yardage plus because of how many yards they're taking away on, on these tackles for loss. It's pretty insane. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, clearly there's, there's like, I mentioned the defensive line is really improved and I think the linebacker core is actually pretty good, but a huge area of concern is the secondary. Like people can throw all over us and not only are we not very good in the secondary, but we're not deep. And so like we're one injury away to a transfer or a freshman where we would probably have to start thinking about moving safeties over uh, to play a cornerback position. Like it's a, it's a position that's just really scary to be honest. Um, And then when teams obviously start to open up the pass, it opens up the run and vice versa. Um, So, yeah, I mean, we do make big plays um, in the defense, but we also give up some really big plays. Uh, one thing I guess I haven't seen as much of this year are uh, lapses in terms of coverages and whatnot. Um, I feel like mentally we're we're a little better, a um, little more prepared this year than we have been last year. That's always a good starting point is uh, <laughs> is, is knowing what what to do. Um, right. Yeah, I I saw this eleven and a half percent of opponent plays. So you know, one in eight plays essentially 
the 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 Beavs defense is up against ends up in negative yards. So it's that's that's incredible, but to still be so bad is is got to be frustrating. Yeah. Um, Isaiah Hodgins last year we in this exact same conversation we're talking about him as is this a good stats bad team guy uh, or is he a legitimate guy? I I think that our consensus last year was somewhere closer to good stats bad team, but. I really feel like he's made a tremendous leap um, to to become to become just a really really talented receiver this year. Yeah, I mean, this year I think you have to like you have to give it to him now. Like he he's an elite receiver. Um, whether that translates to the next level or not remains to be seen, I guess. But um, I think this year you know, they mentioned at the beginning of the season that he had really worked on his speed and some physicality and whatnot. And I see a lot more separation this year than I did last year. He's always had tremendous hands. Um, and I think that led to his productivity in the first uh, couple years of his career. But now, I mean, he's creating separation and he can make a spectacular grab to go with it. Um, so, I mean, you put those two together and then you have a 6'4 frame and uh, that's a pretty good receiver right there. Yeah, he reminds me a lot of uh, of Kenny Galladay for the Lions, just in terms of yeah. uh, body type, ability to go up and get it, separation, all that good stuff. So yeah, he's he's been really fun, and I weirdly look forward to uh, having UW try and and, and guard him. Uh, how yeah. they guarded Pittman, especially at USC, um, they kind of bracketed him in coverage. Um, I'm sure OSU will see that on film and, and try and get him probably going more across the field than just straight straight line down the field like like USC did. So that'll be an inter- interesting matchup. Uh, where are we at with Jonathan Smith? Because it seems like um, you know he probably had at least a couple years, no matter what happened this year. Um, but with with everything that's happening, it seems like you might have found the guy there. Yeah, I mean everyone seems to be completely bought in and like. It was. It's crazy to think about that uh, a whole locker room can kind of not really care about winning, but that's kind of the sense that people were getting uh, at the end of the Anderson regime. That like just the locker room in general, they didn't they didn't care about wins. And in year two under Smith, everyone's like the whole locker room has changed completely. People are playing for you know their brother and not themselves and whatnot. Um, so from a player standpoint, it sounds like they love him. And then obviously what matters most to a fan base is just getting wins. And I think one of the biggest concerns was we kind of knew going into this year that the team was going to be better. Um, but we weren't necessarily sure after the first few games that it was going to translate into wins or not. And now that we've seen that like four and four, I mean, I didn't think we'd honestly be here at this point. Um, yeah, everyone has to be excited and I think feel like we found something in Jonathan Smith. Last question for you here. Do you remember the last time Oregon State beat Washington in Corvallis? In Corvallis. Whew. Was that my, that was my freshman, junior year? Freshman no, year. No, I can't. I honestly can't remember. It was freshman year. Um, freshman year. The starter for that for that game for the Huskies, at least, was uh, was Nick Montana. Uh, Nick Montana threw twenty one times for a total of seventy nine yards. Um, before Keith Price was so pissed off about how that was going that he became uninjured in the fourth quarter to come back <laughs> in um, and and make it somewhat of a close game. Uh, 
Marcus Wheaton was the leading receiver. Kaysen was the leading receiver for the dogs on the other side. How I mean, doesn't that feel like, I mean, it kind of was like close to 10 years ago, but it feels like a century ago. Oh my uh, God. It feels like ages ago. And especially, I mean, not to rub it in or anything, but we went two and 10 that year and both <laughs> wins were against Washington schools. We beat UW and Wazoo. And the next year we had a good year, but yeah, that's insane. Yeah, that was uh, that that season for the dogs ended up giving um, uh, giving up seventy points to Baylor. So that was just kind yeah. of a a loss end of season for for the Huskies. <laughs> but it seems like every other time the Huskies are playing in Corvallis, uh, some running back goes for two hundred yards, and it's just an absolute abomination of a game. Uh, this reminds me of when you were on TV during one of those one of those such games. Yeah, it was like forty two to zero. Yeah. yeah and that you, wasn't fun for me. You you weren't having any of the uh the Husky fan spotlight that was happening happening on the, the Fox broadcast. I was not. <laughs> fun times though. Yeah, definitely. Um I wish I wish you were back in Corvallis to to, to threaten uh threaten the broadcast one more time. But uh we will be watching from uh from somewhere in California, both of us for, for this game. Yep. That should be fun. Uh thanks for doing this. Thanks for coming on, thanks for talking to Beeves. Uh should be a fun one on Friday. Of course, man. I appreciate it. Give me a prediction before you head out of here. Ooh, on the spot. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Beeves thirty three twenty eight. Is there a field storming that happens if if that if that goes down? Uh, it would be the first Pac twelve win for us, but I'm gonna say no. First, first home first Pac-12? Pac twelve home win. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Me. All right. Stay composed. It's it's a yeah. cla- classy beeves. Uh, all right, like it, uh, like the like the courage. Thanks for coming on. Uh, take it easy, man. Thank you. Peace. All right, thank you, Coots, for coming on. Appreciate the uh, the in depth beef talk there. Uh, back with Stanton. Let's talk about the rest of the conference. Fun week, I guess, in the Pac twelve. Eh, I don't know. Was it fun? It was. It's always fun in the Conference of Champions. Exactly. Uh, UCLA uh, still controls their own destiny. Whatever, incredible. Regardless of what Chip Kelly will tell you about what destiny means, um, <laughs> they went thirty-one to fourteen in Boulder. Uh, they need two wins between. I don't know if it was in Boulder. I just made that up. But against Boulder, uh, they need two wins between going to Utah, going to SC, uh, and then Cal to get to a bowl game. So that's interesting. Probably not against Utah the way they're playing. Uh, SC, you never know. And then Cal sure seems like a layup at this point. Um, so stay tuned there with the Bruins. Beavs get it done, 56-38. As mentioned, they did whatever they damn well pleased on offense. Should be an interesting test for the Huskies on Friday. Uh, and then Oregon, they finish a, on a 56-14 to run. I, I tuned out when, when USC was up 10-0 in that game um, and thought, okay, this is a little spicy. And then I was at a Halloween party. I uh, checked when I got back uh, to my place. 56-24 Ducks. Um, turnovers killed SC. They had four turnovers. All of One of them was a pick six, and then the other three resulted directly in Oregon touchdowns. And that, my friends, is the game uh, with, uh, with, that, with that one. Uh, let's talk about this week with the Dogs on Friday. Uh, Stanford goes to Colorado on Saturday. Uh, Stanford probably needs to win that one for their own bowl purposes. SC at ASU and then Wazoo at Cal, uh, where Cal, where Wazoo is a seven and a half point favorite. Um, they have done nothing this, this conference season to make you think that they could beat anybody by more than a touchdown. Uh, but this just shows you Cal sucks. I think, I think, um, 
uh, Chase Garbers might be back, might be starting, so Ooh, you might see a different Cal team. The Garbinator. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, the, he of the heroic 5 a.m. Seattle performance, or 5 a.m. Eastern Time Seattle performance. Um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see about boy. this this, uh, this week in the conference. Uh, it's not really a Pac-12 week. This week, it is a national scene week. Um, we'll talk about that in just a second, but but from last week, Georgia gets it done against Florida. 1,067 yards later, Memphis beats SMU in an AAC thriller. Uh, Hell yeah. Lots of teams last week were, were napping, though, because uh, this week is a big and big slate, including an undefeated matchup um, of, of really talented teams. Um, that's right, Penn State, Minnesota, rich-ass P.J. Fleck with a new co- contract. Um, that is happening. Those are That's one undefeated matchup. And then we have another one, and I heard it's a, it's a pretty big game, uh, LSU-Bama. Uh, yeah. where, you'll be, you're, you're in an unfortunate predicament during, during that game, aren't you? Yeah, I'll be at the Texas-Kansas State game in Austin, but it starts ex- at the exact same time as LSU-Bama. So I don't know. I'll uh, maybe be streaming on my phone or hopefully our, our boy Matthew Loves Ball posts uh, highlights within a couple hours of the game concluding, which he's pretty good about. Yeah, you know he will. And you know ESPN <laughs> will, will have the game covered forwards and backwards for you uh, afterwards. Yes. Um, hopefully it's not like one of those 9-6 to six type LSU-Bama games that we used to get back in the day when both teams were really good. This one feels like it could be just an absolute bloodbath uh, with how mm-hmm. well those offenses are playing. LSU is it's, it's just nice. Uh, it's nice for Alabama to actually, you know, play an opponent for yes, the first time this season. Yes, too. their first, so their very first game of the season happening uh, yeah. in November against LSU. <laughs> Pretty crazy. Um, LSU's cosmic luck of the the first year they have an offense, uh, also being the for uh, the year that they have to go to Alabama, uh, really sucks for them. But either way, Joe Burrow, big test for him. Um, I was thinking about kind of how it, it would go in the SEC. Basically, whoever wins this game is set to go to the, the conference championship game. Uh, even if, if Bama won, even if they lost to Auburn, they would still have the head to head over, over LSU. So I was doing all the like tiebreaker stuff of checking that out, um, entertaining it for a little bit. And then I looked at the SEC tiebreaker and it's, it's hilarious. It's written in a very SEC way. Uh, the number, mm-hmm. f- number five tiebreaker, I'm going to throw on a quick SEC voice here. It says, the complete record versus all non-divisional teams, if there be any, <laughs> not if there are any, <laughs> if there be any, <laughs> as if it's <laughs> Colonel freaking Sanders writing the the uh, the rule book here for the SEC. Uh, <laughs> hilarious. Um, any surprises for you in the college football playoff rankings? Because uh, LSU at one, I think, stunned some people, but it seems like or OSU at one, it seems to some sense people, it seems like for that first one, they kind of just want to generate some buzz. Yeah, I was, uh, I thought that Penn state would, I, I would have probably taken Clemson over Penn state, but, yeah. uh, you know, you can, you, there's all this back and forth. Are you going to judge by the eye test? Are you judging by strength of schedule? Um, and you know, by the eye test, I think, or by the eye test, you have Bama at three but then, you know, strength of schedule, you would think you'd have LSU at one. So I thought, thought they were kind of inconsistent in that regard. I, the, thi- the thing that is nice about this is we have some decent head-to-head matchups coming up that's going to solve all this. So obviously LSU and Bama play each other this week. Um, Penn State gets a tough task against Minnesota. But then you'll have Penn State, Ohio State here soon. Um, you'll still get Auburn and Alabama 
at some point. So, you know, there's a lot that's going to change. So I wouldn't read into this too much. Um, but I do think that Penn State is at four. I don't know if I would have taken them at four, but, you know, like I said, it's so early. I wouldn't read into it too much. Yeah, the, the four or five thing with, with Penn, Penn State and Clemson, Penn State just has a couple better wins than Clemson does because Clemson has yep. not, none of them. Um, so, yeah. so they also know, haven't played a game yet. And, and they won't have to play okay. anybody. So they're, they're just in a great yeah. position. Let, let these other teams, Alabama and Penn, or Alabama and LSU probably won't survive, uh, their current positions. One of the two, um, Penn State, same thing. They have to play obviously this Minnesota game, uh, but then also against Ohio State here in a couple weeks. Uh, Georgia's looking, like we said, once they lost to South Carolina, they'll be fine because they'll still get their redemption shot against either LSU or Bama. Um, so yeah, it's a lot has to play out here. Um, and a lot would have to happen, I think, for a Pac-12 team to make it in. Uh, but Oregon and Utah benefit from not having to play each other this year. So if whoever wins that can, can run, you know, run it out, then they're in a good position to just kind of see everything play out and, who knows? But either way, it looks like the the winner of the Pac-12 will be getting a New Year's Six, uh, if not a a um, a playoff spot. Um, what else for for this week? I, I was go ahead. Well, I was I was just going to mention that I was going through the scenarios once the rankings came out as well, and it was a a little bit of a somber point because I remember two seasons ago doing that every week with you on this podcast <laughs> when the Huskies were in the conversation and just how fun that was and I'm yeah. like oh man I wish I wish we could have a you know a sh- a say in this the but, who do we uh, need to win still game? exciting nonetheless yeah exactly like we had worked it five weeks out we had figured out exactly how we were going to make it in and everything you know had to go according to plan and it pretty much did as we know but uh, it was still fun nonetheless so. I'll still do it even with the dogs out, but just not as fun. Yeah, there's uh, some distance this year between between the dogs and and yes, this whole this whole party that's happening. Um, <laughs> great cat of the week this week. Uh, I have one big one here that's kind of thematic, okay. but uh, the linebackers. <laughs> My goodness, Ooh. they are yeah. just so bad, so so bad. Um, rewatching parts of the of the Husky game, just the amount of times that you see Kyler Manu near the play uh but not making it because he just is is not in the right position not fast enough to recover uh brandon wellington same thing there was the the tyler huntley run uh for a touchdown when he runs out there wellington is just completely blown up on that play can't even get out to huntley um you know it's 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 tough uh i definitely want to love Fashifo. uh i just kind of rushed through that name maybe got it right Sorry at F1. I love, I love your talent. Um, and he, he forced a fumble there, but just got absolutely destroyed by Zach Moss on a one-on-one situation. Just not there yet. Um, I was, I somewhat promised you this morning that I was going to have a rendition of Where Are You Christmas? But, uh, Where Are You Nata? Uh, cause Ariel Nata has just kind of disappeared after looking really good against Arizona. Don't know what's going on there. Uh, couldn't quite get to the, uh, the rehearsal to, to work on that song. So. I apologize. Uh, it's not going to happen. It's too bad. I was that was pretty much the only thing that got me through the workday today. So that's really disappointing. Carrot before the horse. I will. Uh, who knows <laughs> if, if he's still absent and we lose to Oregon State. I that's that's going to be the podcast next week because you'll be out and I will just be singing into a microphone. So look forward <laughs> to that. Um, by by the way, uh, I have 
reference the official UW pronunciation guide. Uh, it's Ulofoshio. So you pre- U- it's not Ulofoshio. It's Ulofoshio. No, Ulofoshio. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Appreciate you keep me on value my, uh, P's and Q's for uh, for pronunciations as you always do. Uh, anything <laughs> for you on the the great cat side? Um, you have one more coming, right? Oh yeah. So, I mean, it's, okay. Cool. Um, I this one it's kind of a, it was an easy. Well, I wouldn't say easy, but I feel I feel kind of conflicted about saying this. But my great cat is is Jacob Eason, just because I think he made errors that obviously were major errors that cost us this game. Um, you know, turnovers are a big deal. Um, and just given what we expect from him, you think at this point in the season, he would be able to avoid those type of errors. So, um, yeah, I, it's tough. Uh, you know, he's the type of player that probably should go to the NFL given his just arm strength and ability, but the mental aspect and his ability to close games, win games is just not there yet. Um, would love to see him stay another year because I think it could really do him well. But as of, as of right now, it's uh, it's been kind of disappointing overall. I would think I would say for this season. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. I mean, ninth ninth game of the season. Yeah, it's his second full year of playing college football. Um, but uh, it, it's like like we said, simple things, checkdowns, and stepping up in the pocket. I mean, yep. this this has got this is on tape of, for him already, and you know to not respond to it um, in in this big game is is unfortunate. But he's had plenty of great moments as as we we've covered. Sure, definitely. I want That's to, why I was a little conflicted. Yeah, definitely. I want to uh, to give the, my other great cat um, to a concept or a narrative that is out there um, in Husky Twitter, especially. But I feel like it's 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 bigger than that. Uh, there's kind of this. Whenever things go sour, um, there's this "I'm a true fan and you're not" ness that comes out there, and true fans are defined as. Well, by by the self-proclaimed true fans as people who, you know, stick around for the end of the game. They always back their team. They they don't they don't criticize the team. They don't get down on them. They're not constantly negative. All of these things that sound really nice. And I get that. I get where the sentiment is coming from, where it's like, you know, you're worried that that these these poser fans that are there are just, you know, kind of fair weather. Uh, and they came around in 2016. It's the same thing that we've all felt with the Seahawks for a long time of just like, were you guys there in 2005? Do you know who Matt Hasselbeck is? That type of thing. Um, I understand that. However, I don't subscribe at all to this idea that you can't criticize uh, a, a program, especially um, when you have invested a lot either in your time as a fan, you've been to a ton of games, or your your dollars as, a, as an alumni having been to uh, been to this school to not be able to criticize. And I think that that's actually what makes a better fan base is having a fan base that's capable of being objective, capable of being critical, um, and not to pat ourselves on this on the back on, for this podcast, but I don't think we're a Homer podcast at all. I think that we have um, a lot of gripes about this program that that's, um, are, are you know better than you could find in a lot of places, and I, I pride us on that. Uh, and just this this kind of weird narrative that's out there bothers me that like because you're critical you are not a a true dog and and you know you can you can get off the bus it's like no I'm I'm very much still on the bus and I'm going to keep my seat please uh but I will happily explain to you why I think things are going well and if I'm wrong tell me I'm wrong but 
uh, I think having a voice and being able to, to, to vo- voice criticisms of how things are going uh, is what makes a healthy, uh, smart, and accountable uh, fan base and program. I mean, yeah, and, and you know, you we need to say that you know criticism within reason. There's some fans out there that are like, you know, you know, oh, we should start Jake Hayner over Jake Browning type stuff, and that yeah. I don't subscribe to because that's just dumb. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's not like everything's you know perfect and and great when we're five and four. You know, I'm not going to say that too. You, no. you just have to come at it with a level head. Um, I. I will say I don't like the whole, like, you know, if you're not, I, I don't like fans calling out other fans. I think that's kind of poor and not right. the it's divisive, the type of, yeah, exactly. Because you don't want to create that with a fan base. Um, but I do understand some of the annoyances fans have too. Um, like for instance, please call out, you know, fans for leaving early and stuff. I think that's yep. just, but, um, no, not being negative or providing constructive criticism when it's deserved, uh, I think almost does more, you know, just as much damage as the opposite as well. So, um, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think it's a, it's a, it's a very valid point. That yeah. You make. Yeah. You, you can't pull the wool over your eyes about, about the, the elements of the program that need to be addressed, uh, and get better. I mean, it, if you don't, if you don't name them, then there's no pressure on the, the program to actually, act on them um and so that's and, that's where i'm coming from and and to add to that i'm i'm trying to find the tweet i saw it this afternoon uh it was something along the lines of chris peterson was asked about the criticism from fans this season um and he said well you know i'd be concerned if there wasn't because yeah. i've never met a fan base that didn't do that so i think you know that's only expected from fans so um you know, he, he believes that it should be that way too. So yeah, you set your own bar. The sec, the second that you make it to the playoff and you have the, you know, rich, rich guy problems that, that this program does, you open the door for criticism whenever you're not doing things that allow you to get back to that bar. And that's, that's fair. That's just, and, and, uh, we'll, we'll keep on that beat here at our kind of pod, uh, moving to <laughs> our, our OKG. OKG of the week. Um, I wanted to start by saying the uh, team with the number one rated S&P Plus uh, defined special teams unit, your Washington Huskies. Oh, yeah. that's They were number two last time we spoke, so this isn't insane. Uh, we've, we've documented the, the successes of the kicking game especially. Uh, but between kicking, punting, and returning, this is your best team in the country. That's insane for how bad it was two years ago. And even last year. Uh, yeah, last year <laughs> was pretty poor as we've talked about multiple times. Uh, I'm just re- looking at the stats here. Uh, Joel Whitford, three punts for 44.7 yard average race. Porter had a punt for 58 yards, which I did not know until just reading this right now. Yeah. Um, Peyton Henry didn't get a chance to attempt a field goal, unfortunately, but, but he, he didn't miss. maintains his exactly. So uh, the Lou Groza Award watch continues, baby. Um, but yeah, overall, uh, really good performance from the Husky special teams, which has really been the only consistent units on the the team this season. So that's been nice to follow, I guess. Uh, what's your OKG of the week? My OKG is Hunter Bryant. Yes. Um, I, you mentioned before, you know, 105 yards, six receptions, two touchdowns. 
He now ranks second in the country in receiving yards for tight ends at a 557. Um, he's up to 36 catches and three touchdowns with a 15 and a half yards per catch average. Um, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to go to the NFL. It's hard to tell. Uh, it would be really too bad if he, I mean, it would be too bad selfishly for the Huskies. Um, obviously great for him. It would be really nice if we can somehow main, retain him and Eason next season because that, uh, you know, another year under their belts, that's a duo that I think could just God. destroy defenses in this conference. He's so good. Uh, he was the John Mackey <laughs> tight end of the week. I think the second time, at least, that he's he's received that honor. Um, like you said, second in the nation for, uh, for tight end receiving yards behind another H. Bryant, Harrison Bryant for Florida Atlantic. But wow. that's Florida Atlantic, so he he's irrelevant. Um, the, way, the way he's doing it, the, he's got so much in his arsenal – the, the down the field catch, uh, for the touchdown, the long touchdown he had. Um, you know, he had the really nice touchdown grab against, uh, or the deep grab on that same sideline against Oregon the week before. Uh, he's basically unstoppable on any sort of crossing route that involves multiple linebackers having to coordinate covering him. Um, he was catching passes over the middle. He was, he was just electric on, on Saturday. Um, and I think with this, with the state of this team, I want to force feed two awards. Uh, Hunter Bryant needs to get 15 targets a game for Mackey purposes. And if you get to the 35, <laughs> you're pulling up and having uh, Peyton Henry get his 50 yarder under, under his belt to, for, you know, just that, Hell yeah. that resume cinching uh, kick that every great <laughs> Luke Rosa award winner has. Uh, oh yeah. I think if, if this thing ends up eight and four with a bowl game and those, one of those two guys at least wins an award, I'll, I'll be happy. We, this this thing has been somewhat salvaged. Yeah. Well, to speaking of Bryant, six catches, like I said on Saturday, he only had three in the previous two games, or three catches against Oregon, three against Arizona, and only one against Stanford. So, uh, obviously, would be I'm happier that he was more involved in the passing attack. Um, and then commenting on Henry, his his long is 49. So, like you mentioned, he hasn't had that 50. A yarder plus yet or hasn't i don't even think he's attempted one of more than 50 yards yet they haven't even given the opportunity so that would be fantastic free payton let's get that hashtag going <laughs> zach peggins you know what to yeah. do yeah yeah let's get up peggins <laughs> uh all right man well i will say we've started a lot of these podcasts feeling really shitty and i feel better after talking to it because because uh it's just thoughtful conversation between you and i so i appreciate that uh, thank you for doing this. You'll be out next week. Uh, enjoy your time in Austin, uh, and we'll hit it again after the Colorado game. Do I have that right? Is my yeah, brain hopefully. Working? Yeah, I think there's a bye after. Yes. And then uh, we play Colorado in Boulder. So hopefully we're talking about a exciting Husky win against the Beavers. Yeah, and hopefully the next time you hear from me, uh, fans of this podcast, I'm not singing a rendition of Where Are You Christmas? That's yes, that's, exactly. That's, <laughs> that's all we can hope for right now. Uh, all right, man. Thanks for doing this. Go dogs. Go dogs. Oh,